This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. Homesdale Radio, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk, the next generation of fantasy football. Hello and welcome to Homesdale Radio. This is a very special podcast. Um, there'll be two hosts today, one of which has prepared and one of which hasn't. I wonder <laughs> if you can guess who. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I am Chris Hambling. Um, yeah, yeah. This is uh, a preview and a review hate having to say it that way. Mikey had loads of trouble with that because of the fact that <laughs> it's review, but it's preview. Confusing times. Anyway, uh, we'll be looking back at the Man United game, of course, uh, losing that one 2-1 and uh, quite a big reaction to that. A number of controversial moments and key incidents to discuss. Uh, it being a podcast, obviously no input from yourselves. Um, apart from feedback later on, you're allowed to do that. You can uh, go to net forward slash contact. And let us know what you thought today. I can slightly hear myself back as well. I quite like oh. I can quite, quite <laughs> like hearing myself, as you know, but it's um, it's a bit sexy. Yeah. <laughs> it's that virus, mate. Yeah, you're right. I I am ill, though I haven't caught anything uh, horrendous when we talk about viruses. Um I haven't ruled out Ebola, but I think it's probably just flu. Um, <laughs> anyway, with me you've heard the voice of the other host, Terence Ford. Hello, Chris. Hello. This is, this is a clash of the pods. If only I was up for it a bit more, hey? Oh, <laughs> that's what she said, etc. Um, who, <laughs> who else we got? Who else we got? All right, you want to know who else we got? Well, I'll tell you who else we got. We've got Mr. Albert Curley. Hi, guys. Hi. I feel like a, a child in the middle of a divorce <laughs> settlement. <laughs> Don't fall out. You, Chris, you can have me this weekend. Terence. You can have me any weekend you like, baby. Uh, it should be one of those type of shows today. I genuinely think this is a as an early Christmas present for you all. Um, you know, this is this is going to be a real, real privilege to to download to this. <laughs> I don't see what could possibly go wrong with us three. Exactly, absolutely nothing. We we refer to ourselves as the A team. I was about to say we're known as the A team. We're not. <laughs> we call ourselves. We are known to the A team amongst us three. You can guess what the A stands for. <laughs> Which member of the A team would you be, Chris? Uh, <laughs> it's got to be BA Barakas, isn't it? Ah, oh, Terence, you've got to be the face. Face, obviously. <laughs> what does that leave me then? 
Howling Mad, Mad Murdoch, Murdoch yeah, obviously. That's or, just... or what's the other one? The old dude, Hannibal. 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 <laughs> I don't think any of us are Hannibal. He had the plan. Not really sure. So by default, I have to be Howling Mad Murdoch. Yeah, it kind of fits, doesn't it? Kind of. Cool. So anyway, we'll be looking back at that Man United game. Um, obviously, it was a disappointing result, but uh, there were some very, very good moments, including an amazing flick by uh, Delay Nino. Delay Nino, I've called him. Isn't that good? I'll put it on Twitter as a hashtag. I'm, I'm down with the kids. I can use hashtags. It's a trend. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we'll have a short break. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. Okay, that was a very short ad break, and uh, now it is time to discuss the Man United game. I do want it known that you know I, I did make it clear that one of us hasn't prepared today, and, and I will admit it was me. But what I do want to know, let you know, is that I am wearing a shirt. I'm treat, treating this show with the decorum that it needs. I am here in a fully pressed. You normally shirt. topless. I know, you know, you're chucking a t-shirt. I will admit, although wearing a very nice shirt, I do not have any trousers on. But, right, that <laughs> doesn't, that's, not, that's not a deliberate thing. The Tom Cruise look. Absolutely. Is there socks? <laughs> yeah, there's socks. There you go. Yeah. Merry but, Christmas, everyone. That's uh, another little treat for you there. Full of festive treats this week. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about the... Uh, Let's talk about the selection and the tactics. That's where we've got to start, really. First game for Flamini. Um, only played 45 minutes. We'll come to that in a bit. But uh, I was pretty impressed. Terence, what do you reckon? I t- I've been getting castigated on Twitter all day for um, suggesting that I didn't think he was very good. Um, and I don't... It probably wasn't his fault for why I think he wasn't very good because it was clearly tactics from Pardew for them for him and Kabai as a pair to stand off I think at points he looked good when he was on the ball and I think him and Kabai looked comfortable sort of interchanging with each other in terms of passing and you can tell that they've both played at a higher level in a more passing around midfield but I thought both Kabai and Flamini went running off like headless chickens and I think I thought Flamini was often caught running into places he shouldn't and Kabaya was trying to cover as a result and I thought the Man U midfield three really really dominated over Flamini and Kabaya in the first half I would certainly agree that the Man United three were the dominant force in the first half I, what I did like and you touched on it there was that I felt Kabaya played a better game because of having Flamini next to him I think that, like as you said the two of them linked up quite nicely um, what was pleasing is that the two of them can pass and move and not panic on the ball. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of the team, not so much at times. So um, I thought that's where a lot of our attempts at getting any kind of a foothold in the game in the first half broke down. Uh, what did you think of Flamini then, Albert? Uh, I didn't think he was... I mean, I thought he was pretty pretty average. I didn't think he had a bad game. I don't think he stood out uh, above anyone else. You know, he's, he's certainly not played a lot of football. You know, we've we, again, we've what, seen him for four minutes in the last maybe... 15 games or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, Rusty, what, what I did like is he seems to be quite vocal and trying to organise people around him, mm. which is more than you can say for 95% of the rest of our team. And that includes our, that includes our captain, sadly. Well, it's um, something that we've, we've talked about needing. And I know um, in the BT Sport coverage, Dougie uh, was, was pitch side and was talking a lot about that. 
about how Palace needed someone like Flamley in the in the team to to not only screen the defence but to to help organise. It was interesting to hear those comments as well. Um, but I think we'll, we'll come to the the what I consider to be the most confusing part of the tactical selection in just a moment. But a quick nod towards the fact that obviously the back four. Uh, again, we saw we saw Ward at left back and Kelly at right back. I thought Kelly was a little bit of an improved performance, um, but again, no place for Zeki starting, um, not even against his old side. And of course, you know, it's it, there's not really too many options back there, Terence. Um, but what were you in Kelly? Kelly a bit better? Yeah, I definitely think it was a bit better, and it's it's not surprising. You know, he's slipping in at right back. Um, it's funny. I was laughing with a guy called Dave who stands next to me because. I said that Kelly did something that was uh, below par, shall we say. And he was like, oh, God, you're not on Kelly's back, are you? And I was like, no, I think like when he was at left back, you know, he was left hung out to dry, as everyone has been saying. But now he's right back. He's um, he's free game for abuse. But <laughs> no, I thought he did. Um, he did do a lot better. But you'd expect that moving him into right back. It's a more natural position for him. And, you know, it wasn't... <laughs> He wasn't up against a particularly, you know, the opponents were more tailor-made for him. You know, it wasn't like he was up against Martial and was having to face extreme amounts of pace, you know, with sort of Rooney floating around and Mata floating around there. It was a lot easier for him to keep them in front of him and defend a lot better than it would have been if Martial was trying to get him around the back of him. Yeah, definitely. I felt that there was a really good movement from Man United, but it wasn't at pace. So we were able to adjust pretty well to that. Um, anything in the back line that con- concerned you, Albert, given the options that we had? No, no, not really, apart from the back four being a general concern in itself. Um, but uh, yeah, Terence has echoed what I was going to say about Kelly. You know, there wasn't any out and out wide players for Man United whose sole purpose was to get in behind and, you know, get crosses in. Yeah, there were Rooney and Mata are sort of, you know, Terence summed them up nicely. They're sort of floaty players and they're certainly not going to do anyone for pace. Um, so I think that probably helped Martin Kelly, but you know he, he played well or well enough against what was in front of him. So that's all we can judge him on, really. I, I reckon Rooney would probably float if you put him in water now. You reckon? <laughs> so both literally and figuratively floating. I'm not oh. sure he's allowed to get his hair wet. A mate of mine just said that. <laughs> plugs done, and he's, he's not allowed to put a t-shirt on, which means, and he's a plumber, so he's a bit like Chris. He's going to plumbing jobs in button-up shirts. <laughs> That's all, uh, that's also put me off the idea of getting plugs as well. Um, he went well, to there you go. It. It's really cheap, but his head swelled up like Crichton from Red Dwarf. And <laughs> <laughs> they don't tell you that bit before they do oh, it. Okay. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, carry on. I will, I will carry on. Um, so, again, for, for me, back four, kind of, we don't really have the options to mess about there. I thought it was a, it was a much more solid display, but like you say, the opposition probably had a fair part to play in that but what did trouble me is we've come off the back of a game where Wilfred Zaha was at his very very best and we've then approached the next game in a way where our own tactics negated not only Zaha but also <laughs> negated uh, our star striker you know the man, the man we paid 30 million pounds for in Benteke and then our manager had the audacity to criticise <laughs> that striker in the uh, in the post-match press conference, um, I, that, I've obviously given away my views on that um, that I, I felt was a bit strong. But, gentlemen, I actually start with you, Al. But let's mix things up. Um, first of all, Zaha um, playing alongside Benteke. 
Can you understand the thought process? No. No, definitely not. <laughs> I think, like, as you, again, as you've said, Zaha was, you know, out of this world against Hull. Um, and similar to our fullback situation, you look at Man United's fullbacks, Blind and Rojo, you know, I, I, I think certainly against Rojo, you know, if, if Zaha was, was out wide and, again, tasked with getting in behind, getting to the byline, putting balls in, I think he, I think he could have had, you know, Rojo or Blind on toast you know, in that situation because neither of them are particularly naturally wide players. Um, so to stick him up front against, you know, two two sort of quite burly centre halves, yeah, I, I mean, I can't I can't see any justification for it. It was bizarre, and quite often you had a situation of Benteke peeling wide right and putting a cross in, and you know, to who? Zaha wasn't really in there to try and head the ball in and. You know, at one stage, I think it was a cross from Benteke to, to Lee at the far post. Do we think that was uh, the surprise that Pardew referred that's to? What, that's what I said. He referred to a surprise in the pre-match. Because it surprised the shit out of me. I, I was shocked and still <laughs> am. So it, it was definitely a surprise. And that's the sort of thing where those who, who who aren't on Pardew's side, and there's more of them week by week at the moment, will point to that and say, look, that's him. That's what he does. He, he does spring something that you can you haven't thought of and you think is bizarre and when it pans out he loves the adulation of being the uh you know the abstract thinker but it, it feels like a gamble with our with our league position and our future at the moment it's it's a, it's a bit concerning and of course terence MacArthur ended up quite often on that right hand side as well which is certainly not the place to get the best of him no certainly not and <laughs> MacArthur was moved into the middle and almost immediately scored. He's he's having his most prolific season ever, I should imagine, um, as a goal-scoring goal midfielder. And it just seems to make no sense. He seems to time his runs well into the box. It seemed perfect for to put Zaha up, as Albert said, against someone like Blind or Rojo. Um, MacArthur proved once you put him in the middle, he was getting into areas that troubled Man United just before he scored. He forced a save from De Gea and then he scored his goal. It was just utterly baffling to to see him repeat a previously failed experiment because let's not forget he already did this with Yannick Balassi. He played him through the middle and very rarely did it work and it ended up stifling a lot of movement and so on and it's, it was just the same thing again. The only time in the whole entire half that Zaha looked dangerous was when he picked the balls up in wide areas. So what's the point of just saying, well, you go there and occasionally drift into a wide area and pick the ball up when instead or instead of pushing back one of their defensive players and holding back their midfielders and occupying Michael Carrick a bit more. Michael Carrick could just step out and he's a very, very good passer of the football and he proved that with um, the ball over the top to Pogba where you know, MacArthur being in the, in the middle three and Zaha being outright would have forced McCar- um, Carrick a lot further back and forced their defenders a lot further back and May United wouldn't have been able to execute the passing game that they so easily did, I believe. Yeah, no, no, that's spot on. And I, I do want to, you sort of made me think about it as, as you were talking there, that it is worth acknowledging that, that a couple of the Man United players on, on the day had absolutely stunning games. You know, Pogba for, for certain, but also Carrick, as you say, and he's been a, pretty much when he plays, they win. Um, he, I think just, Michael Carrick's one of the most underrated English footballers there is. It has always been that way. Every time I've seen him play live, he's been brilliant. He just he never does. He never puts a foot wrong. He, obviously, he has that little bit of a problem with pace sometimes turning, but most a lot of players have that sort of problem as well. So every time he's got the ball and he's 
looking downfield, he 99% of the time is picking the right pass. He's, he's got better with age as well, I think. He he's reminds, reminds me a little bit of Pirlo in that respect, in that, you know, he, he knows what his strengths are and he plays to them and he, and he is superb at it. But, look, you know, it's, so, obviously we're not... So really... everybody make sure that you remember that Hambo said that Carrick's better than Pirlo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> strong words. Strong words. I'm, I'm all about the strong words. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's... It, it was deeply troubling to see um, to see players playing out of position as as they were. Uh, Jeff Thomas picking up on it on Twitter um, said, "You know, it's it's a simple game at times. You know, don't you know? It's easy watching from the couch. I think was his first phrase, which is a valid point, but it is also very easy to point out that a central midfielder plays better in central midfield and a winger plays better on the wing." Um, look, I, I'm gonna. I did I did try to think through what Pardew was play, playing at and, and what. You know, there is some logic there. I mean, first of all, part of the game um, against Hull, uh, Zaha got quite close to Benteke at times, and that provided a really good threat. But there was an awful lot more going on within with the rest of the team. Um, and you can also see that there was some logic in saying, well, OK, Man United are going to have more of the ball. Uh, we're going to probably have to play a bit more direct. Otherwise, we're going to put ourselves under pressure at the back. So there's going to be a lot of... You know, getting the ball from back to front as quickly as possible. If Benteke can hold it up, and Zaha's close to him, that's our best option of attack. I can kind of understand that thought process, but it was clear it wasn't working after about five minutes. Um, and that's when you, if we talk about this every week, game management, how you manage the football match, and that's where the manager fails. Um, and again, it's not all on him. There's a there's a coaching staff with him as well that need to help him and point things out and all that kind of stuff. And, and I. As much as I don't believe losing to Man United means you, you call for the manager's head and all this kind of stuff, I do believe that there is an ex- more than one example of very bad game management in that match. Yeah, he's kind of like the Simon Jordan of managing, though, in his like, ivory tower. He doesn't listen to anyone. He stands out there, doesn't take a single bit of advice from anyone. He's just on the edge of the touchline the whole time. And it's like and everybody behind him scared to come forward and actually say anything. I, I, again, I, I mean, I don't... Is it too near the dugout or anything like that? In fact, I can't even see the dugout from, from the other. But, but um, I, know, I know what you mean. It and he's he, you know, at the end of the day, he, he's the leader. He's the, the man who makes the decisions. But you know, he, when something's wrong, again, this is another thing that Dougie said pre-match. Is like sometimes it's actually hard to sort of acknowledge that your plan is is not working. Um, obviously, he was dropping a few hints about himself in the past, having to accept that what he wanted wasn't actually the best thing for the for the club. Um, and I, mm. and I think perhaps what Pardew wants and what, he, what his vision is for the club, we might not get there. Um, we certainly don't look anywhere close to it at the moment, do we? No. So um, I was going to talk a little bit about the subs. So uh, Flamini off at half-time. I think we've talked about Flamini, and, and I guess both of you say you weren't that impressed. Do you still do you agree with the half-time sub? Was it injury-forced or just... He decided to take him off. It, it, for me, it, it seemed tactical. He didn't look like he was struggling. Maybe, maybe he was. Obviously, we don't have the inside knowledge on that, but there's been no indication he was as injured as far I'm, as... I'm, I don't know if it was in an, an article or something. One of the guys said in our sort of group chat, I'm sure someone mentioned a tight groin or something. But... Was, that, was that about the game or was that just a... <laughs> yeah, that, it, well, I mean, <laughs> for what it's worth, mine's quite tight. A lot of it's fine, But... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I like I say, whilst, whilst I wasn't over over the moon of his performance, it wasn't, uh, oh, for fuck's sake, get him off at half-time 
performance. You know, I'd, I'd have been happy to see him come out again. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it, it just it seemed um, a strange change, but we were better in the second half almost straight away. Ledley, Ledley, had a, Ledley did, you know, did have an impact on the game. Or, you know, I can say that much. Yeah, and he was he was he was committed as he always is. You know, actually drove forward a fair bit. I think he got, he was the first one to get a proper shot away at the Man United goal, a little bit wide, but really, you know, it it just showed that the mentality in the first half was wrong as much as anything tactically. We actually, you know, I'm not saying they were there for the taking, but but we gave them so much time and respect. We, uh, someone asked on our in our group chat, you know, how's the first half gone? And it it was like a training game for Man United at times. It was just, it was their first eleven and some other guys who were sort of, you know, there to help them train. It says, it says everything about the game that we haven't even mentioned the goal that was in the first half. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, it is. Yeah, we didn't even mention it. Um, well, because that, I mean, I've got a whole other sub topic on the uh, on the referee, but let's go. Somebody's there. Let's go. lack of preparation showing. Oh, edit that out, Mike. Oh, burn! No, you didn't. Oh, dear. It's, oh, it's the order, isn't it? Let's talk about the MacArthur incident before we before we do go on to the ref, though. Um, MacArthur substituted, seemingly injured, to be completely fair, right? But for Fraser Campbell, and in seconds later, we concede. That, on its own, is frustrating. You know, it's it's annoying. It's directly after a sub. But it's not on its Again. own, is it? It's not on its own. It is a a... Uh, a lesson not learned. Um, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, Terence. You're like this. I'm going to dig out the stat. You love stats. I mean, can we can probably edit out this awkward pause while I do it. Um, or just I mean, leave Mike, it in. Or just leave it in. Mike, Mike, That's what she said. Anything. anything <laughs> Terence can anything. make another bitchy comment about how you're not prepared. <laughs> Feel free. I don't, I don't even care. I don't care. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so here you go. Uh, so at Burnley, we're level at 2-2. We take MacArthur off, we lose 3-2. At Swansea, we're level at 3-3. Take MacArthur off, we lose 5-4. At Hull, we're 2-1 up. We take MacArthur off, we draw 3-3. And then, of course, uh, level at 1-1 uh, against Man United to take off MacArthur, lose 2-1. So, you know, <laughs> once is, uh, you know, it happens. Twice is careless. Four times? There's probably another one in there in the mix somewhere as well. I'm, I'm sure people are digging one out. But come on, Terence, what do you think about that? Well, it's uh, it shows that you you're laying it at the manager's door. You have to. You, you he's obsessed with stats, Pardew. He really is. That's why he bought Ben Stevens in with his analysis and so on. And I went on the tour of a training ground before a game once, and there was stats all over the wall about the opposition upcoming and all sorts of scenario game scenarios and so on all relating around stats so you cannot tell me that he does not know that and if he does know it does know it that and he's still making those decisions then it's his fault and if he doesn't know it when he's paying a shed load of money to an analyst then it's still his fault because he shouldn't be paying that money to an analyst who can't show him this so either way it falls at his it falls at his feet and it's just adding it to the list add it to the list of everything else (laughs) pretty kind and dry isn't it albert yeah, I can't even. I can't even think of an excuse. Uh, I mean, well, he hasn't really got. Hasn't really got too many other options on the bench there. Obviously, a couple of kids picked for the bench again coming into transfer window. That's uh, that's something that happened last season as well, isn't it? But yeah, yeah of course. Uh, but it's you know, it's it's what eighty-seven minutes. 
that Campbell comes on. Is that right? 86, 87 minutes. So the game's, the, the game's there to, to warrant a point, and we'd have done well to get a point out of that game because, like you say, for most of the game, we did look like we'd turned up as a sparring partner. Um, and I put, I, put it on, I put it on Twitter after the game. If, if he's brought Campbell on to try and nick, nick a three points, then it's an awful substitution. And if he's brought Campbell on to close the game up, it's an awful, it's an awful substitution. Because if you want someone to come round, to come on the pitch and, and press and run round and just harass people, you don't bring on Fraser Campbell to do that at the wrong end of the pitch. You know? I, I, like I say, I can't say I know anything about the two kids that were on the bench. But you can bet that they'd have come on and, and just busted their gut trying to press, trying to close down, just making a nuisance of themselves. Um, it just seems, it's, it's odd. It's just an odd decision. I've, I've got to believe that, that, in, that James MacArthur, you know, is, it, for me, he's got to be lying down, having to be stretched off before you take him off the pitch in that minute of that game. Um, I, I, you know, I, some people have said to me that he was really struggling to walk off the pitch. And that, you know, if so, I, I hold my hand up, I apologise. I didn't see it that way. But, when you when you don't have uh, a like for like replacement, or you know, or, or or well, essentially when you have an attacker, when you're under the cosh and it's late in a game, and you really do need that point. And for me, it's about the 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 impact mentally on the team again to have put in a huge shift to have got themselves in a great position in the game. You know, we as you said, Albert, getting a point out of that game is a hell of a hell of an achievement. To get into that position and have it snatched away from you at the death again, this has got to be damaging. And they've got to fear it. Every going into every game, if you think the last five minutes of every game, if we're only goal ahead, we've got to be fearing that. And if, that if, if you're Alan, if, if you if Alan Pardew says to everyone out there, you know, MacArthur included, Benteke included, right, everyone in our half, we're going to just fight for this point. You actually don't need a lot of legs to be pressing and running round because you're going to pack your own half with 10 outfield players and just, you know, batting down the hatches. Well, well, for me as well, it's not knowing your players' abilities because you've already got three fullbacks on the field and one of those fullbacks can play defensive midfielder. So just move Fryers into left-back, bring on Andres Townsend and slot Joel Ward into the centre of the park and just shore it up. There you go. And that's, that's a great shout, Terence, and, and not one I thought about until the very moment you said it. But you're, you're spot on there. Joel Ward... It's done that job before, and it's done that job in the Premier League before. So, and for the sake of of a few minutes to see a game out, that's that's knowing your players. That's proper game management. And again, if you're gonna, you're gonna you know, a lot there's still people out there defending the manager, and I can I can understand wanting to do that in, in in the sense of if you believe that's how you support your team, you defend the manager until he's no longer the manager, which, you know. I'm not in that place personally at the moment. I usually am, to be fair. Um, but I, I've been driven completely mad by this this current situation. I really have. It's um, it keeps me awake. It's terrible. But you know that again, you can point the finger there, and and it's very hard to see the the opposing argument to that. You're you're sitting there with a shirt and no trousers on. It's definitely have some sort of effect on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! It's another thing I hadn't thought about until you said it. You're absolutely right. Um, no, let's talk about the referee because that, that's there's there's a subplot in this game and that's one of the worst refereeing performances. In fact, it's one of the worst worst refereeing performances Keith Hackett has ever seen, um, <laughs> let alone us. So uh, I was quite surprised at those comments. Uh, I don't know if you saw them, um, but, but no. yeah, Keith, Keith Hackett said said basically, um, 
I had some bad games when I was refereeing, but never anything like that. <laughs> was, was, the, was the comment, and um, it was breathtaking. And let's talk about the Rojo, Rojo challenge. How isn't it a red? Is there any excuse for that, Terence? Any excuse? Well, yes, because the precedent's been set in the Everton game where he right. didn't get sent off for it in that one. <laughs> so, which was so they, worse. <laughs> so they've established that. Um, Rojo going in two-footed is only a yellow card offence. So um, there you go. That's it. That that's the only thinking behind it. Um, he's just lucky. Wilfred Zaha's lucky. Rojo's lucky that Zaha saw it coming um, because he managed to just get over it. Because if he doesn't get over it and he's stat and his foot standing there, his ankle's broken. And that's that. That is the matter-of-fact scenario of it, and it's why you're not allowed to make challenges like that. And the referee's position was great, his linesman's position was great, and they both bottled it, and that is a fact. It can, it can only be because it's Man United for me, I, I, mm-hmm. that's against Little Old Palace. I can't yep. see any other reason for it. And bearing in mind, I, I would say a minute late, well, not a minute later, it was actually just before, just before Man United scored uh, their mm-hmm. handball offside goal. It was Martin Kelly slides in for for a challenge. First foul of the game, yellow card. I don't think it's like he slid in either as well. It was a stand-up challenge. And what infuriates me more about that, Chris, is that Rojo did the same thing in the second half and did not get booked for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, and and you think, um, you just don't want to be accused of sour grapes, but I can't see anything else. You can, I think you can analyse that over and over again from any perspective you like, and you cannot argue with the fact that that is quite simply big club bias. It, if it's not big club bias, then what is it? It can't be complete incompetence because the guy is a Premier League. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Hang on, give, give, him some, give him some slack because if he if he was standing on the line when those new lights were flashing about, he might have struggled to see anything <laughs> for about an hour. And a half, so, yeah, every time you know, he, lives, he sees like eight different players. I saw someone um, say today, uh, if this was in Italy, they would be being questioned for cheating. <laughs> but you, you believe it. This is honestly, I have this little, tiny little tin foil hat wearing conspiratorial bubble in my head about football, where I'm convinced that the power and money in the game lends mm-hmm. itself to the idea of uh, a sort of a scripted. Um, should we say narrative? It's not directly controlled, but should we say influenced? And the easiest way to influence that would be through match officials mm-hmm. um, and you know fixture computers and cup draws and all that kind of stuff. You, if you wanted to and you had that power and you wanted to be corrupt about it and generate the biggest possible amount of hype and interest in the game, you could do it, couldn't you? And that's where, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, 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 but good Chris doesn't want to bring that up every week. Um, <laughs> for fear of legal recrimination, so let's just say that's that's the Tim Vaughan hat wearing version of me that I keep very very quiet. And but <laughs> you know this this is blatant. This is absolutely blatant. And then you go to the next incident and you look at the the goal. And well, I had a Man United fan tweet the Homestar Radio account saying, "Oh, it's it's not offside because it's deflected off of Joel Ward." And I'm like, "What? What?" what? <laughs> What are you talking about? He, goes he knows the that, rules less I, than the ref. I just I wrote, wrote better. I was like, that's not the rules, mate. And he says, it is the rules. It becomes... A, I was like, what? So people are magically back on side again every time the keeper makes a save. What? What are you talking and, about? And the fact that it was played with a hand. Forget the, yeah, forget, then, yeah, forget, I mean, forget the offside element. Yeah. Well, uh, technically, you can't be offside from a hand because it's a throw-in then. So technically, he is onside. 
I suppose, yeah, yeah. It's not, not something you're supposed to play the ball with, yeah. But, I mean, again, and he also said that because it's not an intentional handball, it wasn't a handball. It's like, oh, all right, mate. What? And then he said, and, and I, after the game. I, I told him, I kept telling him how wrong he was, and he, he said, stop defending your team. Like, <laughs> what? You, you, you messaged me. Ledley, Ledley. <laughs> Ledley's handball that everyone was nailed on should have been a penalty. It wasn't intentional, but you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the other the other side bit is that the referee should not have disallowed Man United's goal in the second half. No, they should. He should. Well, he should, but not for any legitimate reason. No, no, they they, yeah. they, they, they really? proved. It. I mean, not that the bloody fucking diddle linesman would have seen it, but they you know they put the line across and and Matter's foot is offside, and that's oh really I didn't see that, and that's the rule. And okay, again, good. not that the lino would have seen that, but in the light of day, with a bit of technology afterwards. But it was a clear penalty for, for Ledley's handball. Was it? Was it? I'm not sure it, it was. The, the, the rule is deliberate handball. He is facing away. Don't get me wrong. He's defended it awfully and his position is shocking. But he's not <laughs> looking at the ball. How can he be looking at the ball to deliberately handball it? I'd be disappointed if we didn't get that, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, well, we, obviously we wouldn't have gone out if it was up the other end anyway but, but I, <laughs> you know there you go we're allowed a difference of opinion but I, I, thought, I thought we got away with it a bit there um, and also as for the disallowed goal as well as it being maybe offside maybe not offside to be for what it's worth I think uh, the goal should have stood but it was Rojo heading it at the back post and he should have long been off yeah absolutely right and I was, I was talking to um, my boss today funnily enough and he was he'd, just, he'd watched the game on, uh, on BT as well and was saying you know how how are you how are you not going absolutely mad? Because he says that there was so much injustice in that game, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, you should have said to him, "I'm not wearing any trousers. I'm not wearing any trousers. Shirt. <laughs> <Damn> <laughs> Can I go home?" That's, I just said that's that's my experience of Palace versus Man United. That's every game. There's a numerous incidents where I feel we're hard done by, um, and I think that the evidence stacks up. Pretty, pretty clearly there. Did you like it when? Did you even hear it in, in Mourinho's uh, interview with BT? He described Rojo as a nice, clean player. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, he's got a sense of humour. I he? like Mourinho, but that's taking the piss a bit. So um, I'll try and wrap this up because we've got to do your preview, Terence. But um, mm-hmm. I do want to mention, obviously, Palace's goal, which was which was a huge positive. It was a nice bit of football. Damien Delaney, Delaneyo, Delaneyo, Delaney. We were trying. It doesn't work. It does work. Delaney. 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 Esther. (laughs) I'm fed up with this. (laughs) Hashtag (laughs) Delaneyo. But um, lovely little flick from him. Great finish by MacArthur. Absolutely joyous moment. Just frustrating. A little bit like Wilf's goal deserved to be a winner. That goal deserved to get us something from the game. Um, But you know. We need a bit more of that, don't we? we need a bit of bit of flair, bit of verve. It was, uh, it was nice to see. Silence is up for that. No one knows anything. Delaymar. Delaymar. Message preview. Let's go. radio.net forward slash contact. with your favourite combinations of a really good football. Damien Delaney's name. I won't bother talking about Adrian Vinicius winner other than to say I thought maybe the keeper's beaten too easily and what's Kabai doing falling over but then there was a huge gap next to him and all that sort of stuff any comment before, before I move on from that lads 
Yeah, Pogba's world class. I'm sorry, he had 50 yards of space to pass the ball into a simple pass and everyone loses their shit. I felt sorry for Wayne Hennessy because he probably didn't need to come out and he had a really good game up to that point. I thought he was man of the match. Yeah, fair play. He made a series of excellent saves. It's a good finish, though. It was a good finish. He's a very, very good footballer, is old Ibrahimovic. Yeah. I think he's um, going to be big. <laughs> I think he's got a big future, <laughs> future ahead of him. That's the second time. As well, that's the second time I've seen Ibrahimovic play live, and he's now scored five goals in two games. Hey, that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, just to, just a quick nod to what I said earlier. Obviously, I don't expect Alan Pardew to be sacked after losing a game against Man United. But as Terence, you said, it's you know there's a few more things to add to the list. Mm. Um, he hasn't got too many supporters left. Seemingly one of those supporters is still. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Steve Parrish, and as I've said before on, on this show, and probably a few other things as well, um, it's you know sticking with Pardew and going with the, with the plan. It's either very very brave or it's uh, a risk we shouldn't be taking. Um, I really hope that that because it means success for us that the Parish and the board are proved correct, and that Alan Pardew turns this around sooner rather than later. But I can't think of any manager who's turned a record like the, the, the 2016 record back. And 26 points from 38 games. Yeah, that guess is, guess where that will finish in the table? Absolutely rock bottom, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it's it's deeply deeply troubling. Um, I have picked out. I did pick out in our chat eight games. Well, in fact, nine games by mistake that I thought we'd win this season. Um, you know, we'll see, how, we'll see how that goes. I'll keep you updated on that throughout the rest of the show. Did you have your Tim Foyle hat on when you made those predictions? <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. It'll all be fine and all of that. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this wonderfully planned and uh, executed 
review of the Man United game after this short break. We'll be previewing our next fixture against Chelsea. Easy. Let's talk about the next generation of fantasy football at FanDuel. You select a team of Premier League players for a single day's fixtures. That means you're not locked in for the whole season. You can play, watch and win in one day. When your players nail it on the pitch, you rack up points and jump up the real money leaderboard. FanDuel's scoring system uses OptiStats to reflect every player's true on-field contribution. So, outscore your opponents and win cash for your football expertise. Every Premier League match day with FanDuel. And just for Homestale radio listeners, we've got an extra special offer right now. When you sign up, use the promo code PALACE. That means if you don't make money in your first contest, FanDuel will refund your entry fee up to £10. So go to fanduel.co.uk and use the promo code PALACE to grab the offer now. What are you waiting for? Terms apply. Over 18s only. Please play responsibly. Right, so with that out of the way, it's the bit you've all been waiting for. It's the Homestyle Radio Preview Podcast, complete with new flashing lights. I'm just, I'm just kidding. And a Chris, trumpet. Chris, Chris has got epilepsy with no flashing lights. <laughs> <laughs> right, so in order for this podcast not to last as long as um, an Adam Pardew winless run, we'll fly through the usual format that we include on, you know, how we might do against Chelsea. We'll talk to Chelsea fan Terence the Cat. She will give us the lowdown on everything we need to know about Chelsea. Uh, we'll hear your predictions and our predictions, and we'll do a little bit of a mini classic match feature at the end. This week, we're going to remember the 2-1 win at Stamford Bridge last season, you know, to feed Pardew's unflappable ego. Hambo, Hello. legend has it that you're not actually a real human being, and you are, in fact, just like Holly from Red Dwarf, a head in a TV box. Do you <laughs> confirm or deny these rumours? afraid i cannot comment possibly on such rumors <laughs> albert you've seen a new star wars movie already on a scale of jordan much to wilfred zaha how good is it of course if you can't answer for legal reasons you can play the ian holloway joker card and answer another infinitely more terrible question um, no, i'm no I'm, I'm allowed to give an opinion uh, uh jordan much to wilfred zaha i'd say it's probably bakary sacco is that, is yeah, that that's, good? <laughs> that's difficult, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I think that, I'm, I'm, i.e., it's halfway between the two. Right, okay. okay. It's, it's a solid I, six it, out of ten. It's a seven out of ten. So it's got, oh, a that, pretty, it's got pretty much world-class left foot, but nothing else. Yeah, the left foot is, is awesome. Okay, seven out of ten. I'd be more Joel Wald, probably, something like that. All right. All right, well, okay. Well, if he's playing left back or right back. <laughs> Defensive midfield. Right, Pardew in his programme notes said, When people reflect on our efforts in 2016, they tend to neglect how close we were to winning our first major trophy a few short months ago. The Palace team I was part of back in 1990 seemed to get much more credit for their FA Cup final appearance than this current set of players. And I'm not sure why that is, because there was no disgrace in losing to a talented United side at Wembley. Hambo, would you care to furnish Pardew with some reasons why the current crop don't get as much credit as the 1990 lot? Number one, nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, we underperformed in that particular final, um, and it hurt a lot. Um, what else we got? Number three, the Man United team we played were 
in my opinion, were not anything like the uh, the team that Alex mm-hmm. Ferguson had. Um, number four, he's got better resources available to him um, here. Mm-hmm. And number five, it's because our league form is utterly atrocious, and, un- and again, we're underperforming in that. Um, no, <laughs> number yeah, six, and on top punch- of that, we <laughs> punch- We went on to finish third the following season. Oh yeah, there's that as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. So everyone forgets that part as well. Number seven, number seven. They get more credit for it because they played twice. They played two cup finals technically as a replay, so they're going to get more yeah, credit. You don't get much credit for the second one though, do you? It's mm. Pretty poor. Well, definitely if you lose it. The kit was nice though. Bang in. <laughs> right, let's talk about Chelsea. Um, what magical tactical treat is Pardew going to serve up to face the daunting three-four-three of Abramovich's oily all-stars? <laughs> What do you think he's going for, Chris? <laughs> Oily All-Stars. My <laughs> God. Um, oh, I don't know. After the tactical surprise against Man United, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, Joel Ward in attack. See if he could do a battlefield. I don't know. I think. <laughs> I, I think. I think we've got to. Again, we've got to. We've got to start with the defence, you know. And and I really. I don't think we'll see too much different in the setup we saw against Man United apart from I think he would have learnt the lesson and he won't be playing Zaha through the middle with Benteke but what he will have to work on uh, is having Benteke up front in his own and getting the right support in and around him and that you know that invariably probably will come from MacArthur but um, again key key areas are out wide aren't they how how do we cope how do we in that system Chelsea have two effectively two wide players but we've shown even against Hull we've shown that we seem to be have to have two people to occupy one player out there uh, and that's what my real concern is going into that game yeah you worry with Benteke up top on his own against three centre backs he's definitely going to need some support to um, you know cope with that uh, but you've got to think that we can get in behind them on the flanks because of the sort of wing back system that they play but um, what do you reckon Albert do, do you think um, just let's not take this seriously Wolf is our hard to centre back Wayne, Wayne Hennessy alongside um, uh, Ben Teke to get the flick-ons to each other. And we'll, we'll put Zeki Fryers in number 10. Sounds about right. I want, you know, <laughs> can't rule anything out. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Punch, Punch will be back. Is that right? Punch will be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Tompkins is probably a no, do we think? Apparently, I don't know about you, Chris. I've, Tompkins is middle of January, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, him and who else was injured recently? He was months Sacco. Both, yeah, Sacco, both out. Oh, months. what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I think we're we're going to really struggle. We, we you know we struggled against the whole team that play three at the back. What's it going to be like playing a Chelsea team that play <laughs> what is arguably an even better system of three four three? Um, yeah, our only hope is to get you know get players around the back in the wide positions, but you'll that you'll then be crossing the ball into Benteke, who, as I've already mentioned, is going to be surrounded by three pretty powerful centre backs. Uh, yeah, so with Punch and coming back, what's how's your midfield looking for the game, Chris? What do you Flamini does he drop out or is it Kabaya that drops back to the bench? Well, for me, we we really need we need a disciplined, compact six uh, at the back. So that will incorporate obviously the, the back four and two defensive-minded midfield players. Um, so on on the basis of how we how they both played together, if Flamini's fit, I think him and Kabai next to each other 
playing de uh, defensively might actually be better than than accommodating. I certainly don't see Punchin playing as the sort of deep playmaker role because I, I don't think he's got the the ability to you know to close down the space that we need need at the back there. But then that sort of you know gives us problems in other areas. But for me, it's I'd say the same three that started against Man United, funnily enough, but just deployed correctly. You know, I'd see MacArthur ahead of those two because MacArthur will have to be box to box like he naturally is because he will have to get back and defend to make a seven when we're really under pressure. So what about you, Albert, in terms of why? Do you put Punchin back in left midfield or do you, does Townsend come back in? Uh, I'd, I probably wouldn't bring I wouldn't bring Townsend back into the starting lineup. Um, as Chris has said, I think we've got to keep it very very compact in the midfield, and I don't think Ledley I don't think Ledley disgraced himself yesterday. So if if Flamini's going to struggle, uh, if if it was a if it was tiredness or injury and he's not up to it, then I'd certainly like to see Ledley in there. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's going to have to be very tight, very disciplined, and. Trying to even trying to write it down on a bit of paper and, and plot it out is it's a it's a tough one because Ben Benteke is going to need all the support he can get, but anyone who plays in any sort of wide position, i.e. Zaha, Townsend, or Punchin, is going to have to be really disciplined at, at sort of defending the wider areas as well. So they're going to have to put a real shift in to to you know push up on the break potentially and get anywhere near Benteke for any sort of second ball. Do you think, Chris, that Townsend's confidence got it's got to be very very fragile after you know he's he sees that he will start <laughs> MacArthur wide midfield put Chung Chungi in ahead of him and then bring on Zeki Fryers as a substitute <laughs> instead of bringing him on um he's got to be in a bit of a fragile place right now hasn't he yeah I, I don't I don't know it would be whether he'll be angry more than more than um you know had a confidence knock I think he's probably pretty angry right now um I don't know what was said to him when he joined the club about where he'd be playing and, and, and all that kind of stuff, how he'd fit in exactly. Um, bearing in mind, we're told that there was no intention of selling Belassi when we signed him. So what was the thought process behind Townsend? Was it, as was rumoured, playing Belassi up up top, you know, or in behind a striker, that kind of stuff. So um, obviously things did change and everyone quite understandably thought to themselves, well, Townsend will be playing left side because he's left footed and will be crossing the ball left footed into the box for Benteke. Um, but Townsend's natural game isn't to do that. He, you know, he will, you know, he can put a cross in from out there, but he wants to cut inside whichever side he's on. So on the left side, he's always cutting onto a weaker foot. And whilst we've seen him score doing that, um, it isn't his natural game. But you, you know, he's not going to displace Zaha. So he's he's in a real kind of difficult situation because, you know, I, and I. I, I feel he's he might have been let down or promised something different to what the, to the situation that he's in, but at the same time he's a better player than he's showing, and he has to look at himself for that really. So I've got a limited amount of amount of sympathy with Townsend, but I do think he is a fantastic player and will come good in the right circumstance. Yeah, with that left foot, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to get to the byline and put in crosses where Benteke has already proven that he can get on the end and score goals, make things happen. Right, in the interest of time, we'll we'll move it on. Next up, we'll be talking to our Chelsea fan, uh, Terence the Cat, and she's going to give us the lowdown on our opponents. Get in touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. Right, we are now joined by Trizia, a.k.a. at Terence the Cat on Twitter. Is that right? That's correct. <laughs> what's, what's the story behind that name? 
Uh, it's too long a story, but say it's got something to do with Minder. There you go. <laughs> Minder. Okay. Oh, wait. Gets the story. Well, your your Twitter handle or your picture is you call Terence a cat. It's a ginger cat. Um, yeah. I my name is Terence. Um, I'm oh, ginger. Okay. I was a goalkeeper <laughs> and has often been likened to a cat in that sense. And I was named after Terry from Minder. So there you go. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, it's basically insane, me. It? <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Let's get into it. So. Um, Antonio Conte's coming. Is he is he exceeding your expectations with his start? Absolutely. I mean, I I was one of the ones that was absolutely distraught when Jose went. I thought the team had let him down. Don't get me wrong. I, I knew he hadn't. Let's say uh, let's say he had his issues as well. But <laughs> um, I was I was concerned because I thought the issue was more with the team than perhaps the manager. But he's come in and, I mean, he, he tried, I think, first of all, maybe not to touch things too much, but then realised after both the Liverpool and the Arsenal game that there was no point in that, that, you know, he was going to do his revolution and he might as well bring that forward. So I think, in a way, those losses to Liverpool and Arsenal did us a favour because I think it persuaded Antonio Conte to, to bring that revolution forward and we, we've not looked back since. Yeah, so that revolution has obviously been the switch to three four three. Why? Mm, why yeah. is it working so well for you? Do you know what? I'm I'm not sure. I think um, you know there, there are a few players that perhaps were nearing the end of their playing days. I think also, um, I think the whole team just needed freshening up. I think they've been doing the same thing for a long time. Um, I think you know people like Hazard and Diego Costa who were not at their best last season are absolutely flying, which has obviously helped the formation that they're playing so well. Um, and it's just it's just been a revelation, really. So what's what's up with Diego Costa? He seems a new new <laughs> new man, chilled out, and he seems to be playing a lot better for it. Well, I have a friend that has a theory that it's his new dog. He's got a dog who he's apparently <laughs> actually adores, and it's sort of calmed him down, sort of almost being a, I suppose, a father to it. <laughs> um, I think also, I think Antonio Conte had a lot to do with the way he is now. I think he's uh, perhaps told him to channel his aggression a bit more, um, use it in the right way. I think also last season, he must have reflected on last season and, and seen that um, this constant fighting with everybody, whether he'd be in the right or the wrong, because he wasn't always in the wrong, believe it or not. Um, was doing him no no good, and he was. It got to the point where he was never given, you know, um, never given anything. Even like I said, when he was fouled himself. And I think you you have to change your ways after after that. Otherwise, you're just going to keep going down that sort of same self-destructive route. Right. So from obviously a more Crystal Palace sense, you've got Victor Moses doing very well there at the moment. Um, what's what's the secret to his newfound form? Is it just this new full uh, wing back role that he's playing? Unfortunately, you've probably found the only Chelsea fan that's not a fan of Victor Moses. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think that he's doing far better than I think anybody expected, um, and I think he's he's relishing the fact that somebody's actually giving him a chance. But I think he does have his limitations, shooting being one of them. Um, I think, again, the, the system suits him. I think the fact that everybody else, or the players that perhaps were playing very badly last year, 
the likes of Matic, the likes of Hazard, the likes of Costa. I mean, really, all our squads were playing terribly last year, apart from William. They're now on top of their game, and I think you can you can have okay players in amongst brilliant players, and it feels their level up. And I think that's where um, Victor Moses is at the moment. Yeah, because you've definitely got that core of six players that are playing week in, week out, and then there yeah. seems to be a lot of rotation around the other five. So, but we yeah. always like to see a, one of our own doing well. So we're very happy for him to be <laughs> to see him playing high because we we always expected it from him. To be fair, um, and he you know he paid his dues at Palace. He he was playing for us at a very very difficult time in our history with uh, being around administration and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, it'll be good when it gets down in the trenches. He's good for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> So the last couple of weeks, it's been a little bit mm. tighter in the league. Um, you've had, uh, obviously, just a 1-0 at Sunderland last night. Um, what are Palace going to have to do to be able to cause you problems or to sort of eke out a result from this game? Well, I think, you know, when you play a certain way, especially when you change the way you play, I think um, people are going to watch those games and, and they're going to figure out ways to stop you eventually. And, you know, both our last two games the teams have actually gone out to stop us rather than actually to play us. Mm. And I think the thing with Palace as well, I mean, a wounded animal is always a very dangerous animal and, and you guys haven't had the best of luck recently. Um, so I think we've got to go into that game not being too complacent because that's something we've suffered a lot from, um, no matter who the playing staff are, no matter who the manager is. When we do well and when we get plaudits in the press and all that sort of thing, we do become a little complacent. I'm hoping that Antonio Conte is keeping them grounded. Um, I think, unfortunately for you guys, you are shipping a lot of goals, and I think that's your main problem. Um, without stating the obvious, sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know, really. I mean, I think I think if you try and stop Hazard, invariably you're fouling. That's what seems to be happening every game. I mean, he, he finishes every game with bloodied and ripped socks. You know, people try to stop him. Costa is just so strong physically. And as I said, he's keeping his head at the moment. And it seems that whoever does try and stop us by, by fair means gets beaten quite heavily. And by foul means, you know, the, there'll be the bookings, you know, Man City case in point. Well, the good news for you is we definitely won't try and stop you. We'll go toe-to-toe and try to attack you. And we haven't got anyone that can actually put in a challenge in our midfield. So you're absolutely golden. You're probably going to win 5-0. <laughs> so with that in mind, what's your prediction for the game? Um, I think it's going to be closer than you think. Um, I think I'm going to go 2-0 to Chelsea. 2-0. Right, Trizia, thank you very much for joining us. Um, no and we'll worries. give you another call for the return game later in the season, if that's all right. Okay. Well, good luck apart from uh, this, uh, this Saturday. <laughs> thank you. That's very kind. Cheers. 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 Bye. Homestel Radio, Freeview Podcast, sponsored by fanduel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Right, it's predictions time. As always, we'll start off with the listeners. Johnny Creed has gone, will score to make it level and then lose in the last 10 minutes due to poor substitutions. That sounds familiar. Rykev's gone 3-1 to Chelsea. CPFC Patriot and Nick Brett have gone 3-0 to Chelsea, as has Jack Davey, but he's also said that Crystal Palace will receive a red card. Nick Houghton's gone 2-2. 
at Tasty Jerk Palace has gone nil four. <laughs> Fan revolt. Thumbs up from Parish. And finally, Ryan Delahunty has predicted a long queue for halftime drinks with five minutes still left in the first half. Before I get your two stats, um, we're gonna hear some stats. Get your predictions. We'll hear some stats. You know that way around. Say stats. Stay stats again. Stats. Say stay stats. To 10. 48th league meeting in all competitions. Nine wins, 15 draws, and 23 losses. Two wins in the last 10 games. All the other eight were losses. The referee, it gets better, guys, is John Moss. Um, oh, he's, previous, he's previous. He's previous. awarded Ashley Young a penalty when he was closer to his own box than ours. Given a free kick to Everton earlier in the season for Jagielka handball, and then they scored from the free <laughs> kick, and disallowing a perfectly good Damien Delaney goal in the same match. So another shit ref for us to enjoy. Uh, with all that in mind, Albert, what's your prediction? Uh, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for a rather optimistic two-one to Chelsea. <laughs> what about you, Hambo? Can I just say, with all your preparation, Terence, you, you forgot to prepare how to say, speak English. Oh, I messed it up. Well I messed done. Messed it up. Uh, trying to bully you. I, uh, every time. Put your trousers on. Never. Never. <laughs> um, my, my prediction. Uh, oh, God. It's a difficult. Do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I, I think this is going to be an absolutely shocking game of football. We're going to drag them down to our level. Uh, they're not going to know what to do, and we're going to nick a 1 0. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going for 3-1 to Chelsea because I just can't see any way that we're going to be able to beat them with the current form and luck we are suffering at the moment. Uh, Right. Next, we're going to move on and talk about our classic match, which was the 2-1 win at Stamford Bridge last season. So we can remember happier times. It is the 29th of August, 2015. Palace have started the season well with two wins in the opening three matches. Everyone loves Adam Pardew and Bakary Sacco is skinnier than Hambo. (laughs) (laughs) Palace haven't won at Stamford Bridge since 1982 and Mourinho has still only ever lost one game as Chelsea manager at the bridge in the league. So a positive result looked unlikely for Palace. Did either of you you, you two go to the game? No, I... um... I was actually uh, a group of us were at uh, Whole Radio's Lucy White's house uh, watching that one. But um, what well, a lot of people refused to pay the fifty-five pound. Basically, I remember that coming up, and it was something I'd sincerely considered because it's just way too much for a game of football. In the season before I was there, I couldn't see a thing. I was in the back row of the lower tier, and the stand hangs over, and you can't see past the eighteen-yard line. Um, Albert, you weren't there, were you? Fifty-five quid. You're having a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I no, I remember the day well. I was I was out shopping with my <laughs> small child in the rain in Kingston, which had a Chelsea store, which I took a selfie in front of and sent to my hardcore Chelsea mates. Shortly <laughs> after the final whistle, <laughs> very nice. Right, so Chelsea lined up with Quartar, Ivanovic, Azpilicueta, Matic, Cahill, Zuma, Pedro, Fabregas, Costa, Hazard and Willian. We were super Alex McCarthy in goal. Waldy, Soiree, Dan Delaney, Kabaya Punch and McArthur, Wickham, Sacco and Zaha. Um, first half, not overly, not that much happened. Sacco's shot was saved well from Quartar. Kabaya missed a really good chance on a lovely flowing move from Palace and... McCarthy pulled off a double save and Matic 
swanned through our defence and then passed the ball back to McCarthy when he really should have scored. But of course, the um, subplot of the first half was Damien Delaney versus Diego Costa, which was highly enjoyable. Would you like to see a repeat of that this weekend, Chris? Absolutely, yeah. Damo just... He, he he just taught him what lower league defending was all about. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's basically what he said after the game, if I remember rightly. He was said, you know, he's defended against, you know, a lot tougher strikers in the lower leagues, which is a bit of a dig at Costa. But you know, he's, if, if you think, you know, it's kind of like if you think you're putting yourself about, you wait until you see a six foot four, eighteen stone bloke kicking lumps at you. You know, so I, I think it, it played into Delaney's hands uh, the way mm. Costa tried to approach that game. If Costa had tried to use movement and ability and have a lot better result against Damo than, than trying to outmuscle him. And I love that picture when it's like Costa trying to push Delaney away and Delaney's just screaming at him and Costa looks like he wants the, the ground to bury him up. Um, Albert, apparently Delaney whispered into his ear, I'll bury you under my patio. Do you think that's true? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but what did he quote him for it? <laughs> oh my God, is that... a is that allowed? Don't, I, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, you started it. <laughs> what? I was just saying he was threatening him. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. said threatening him with a slightly adjustable estimate. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Deal with it. It's your uh, show, um, you've got to handle this. I would like to see, I would, yeah, I, I remember, um, I mean, obviously it was a great result. I we must have done something right because I remember Match of the Day dedicated like a, a feature, a review of Damien Delaney's performance that day, and it was um, it was it was vintage vintage Delaney, and uh, I can only hope that something similar happens on Saturday. Yeah, it's really very nice. But second half started, Palace dominating, which you wouldn't have really expected. But against a runner play, Tim Cahill had a Tim Cahill. That's not his name, Gary Cahill. We never signed him. Tim Tim Cahill's header would never have been cleared off the line, obviously. So Gary Cahill's header was cleared off the line by Bakary Sacco, and then within seconds he was down the other end of the field scoring. James MacArthur beat Matic in the air about halfway in the Chelsea half, and Kabaya picked up the loose ball. Um, the Frenchman's first time outside of the boot pass released Pat Soiree down the left. Suarez's first time pass put Yannick Balassi in behind the ageing Branislav Ivanovic and to the byline Balassi's first time cutback found the onrushing Sacco but his first time effort was blocked by Azbulaqueta only for it to fall perfectly back for him and then Sacco the man who had scored the winner the previous week against Aston Villa on his debut found himself 10 yards with only the keeper to beat and unlike these days he made no mistakes lifting the ball high over the goalkeeper and into the net what was it like in Lucy? What was it like in Lucy's house, Hambo? It's, it's always very pleasant. There. <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, we were absolutely shocked, and obviously uh, we were trying at the time. We tried and failed to start a barbecue in the garden, um, and it it really cheered me up after the emasculation of not failing to light fire. <laughs> but um, it, it was that's when we thought we had a world beater in Sacco. Um, but more to the point, it. There's not too much different in that team. Um, it just shows you the value of confidence. We uh, we were on a high. We um, let's say at the start of the second half, we just took the game to them, and they they crumbled under the pressure for a, a large period of that half. And it was just momentum. We just pushed and pushed and pushed, and eventually we got that break. And like you say, Sacco, you know, he doesn't really do that anymore. You don't see him getting beyond anyone or, or getting into great positions mm. whenever he plays. But he was 
he was on fire at that time and lucky to get the ball back but a, a fantastic finisher the second time of asking it was happy days yeah well in the stands I th- i'm pretty sure i've still got a bruise on my calf from celebrating that goal it was um pretty special in the way and uh what was it what was it like in kingston when you got the when you got the notification for albert well the, the whole, throwing your children in the air the whole royal borough went crazy no uh <laughs> No, it was it was great. I mean, I you sort of you go one up. I, I seem to remember. I remember because I sort of had one ear on the commentary as well, and I remember it sounded like Connor Wickham was having a great game, if, if I remember that rightly. Uh, to, and it, it was it was early days in the season, wasn't it? Wasn't it? And we we'd done all right uh, sort of in previous games, so it wasn't um, wasn't a great surprise to go one up. But um, I, me- I remember when the equaliser came through, sort of thought, oh well. A bit, a bit more like a foreshadow to the cup final. Oh, it was nice to be, you know, ahead for sort of whatever it was—the ten minutes or so. Um, and I think, I think when Chelsea equalised, didn't they tweet? Come on, guys, we've got ten minutes to find a winner. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then, literally, like ten seconds later, that's when Joel Ward scored. That's yeah, it. so it was, it was all sweet. within the minute of sixteen thirty-eight. It said one tweet: goal, Falco. Next tweet: we have ten minutes to find a winner. Come on, you Blues. Next week, goal, Chelsea won, Palace two, all in the same minute. <laughs> the guy running the account must have been like, core blimey. But of course, just before Falco scored, Balassi put a great chance high and wide. Um, Ivanovic just about done enough at the back post to do one of those fouls that you just sort of get away with. And um, and then Falco nodded at the near post, but um, with the Chelsea fans still quietly applauding Falco's equaliser from their seats. Probably a little bit of an exaggeration there. Substitute Blassi picked the ball up on the left and played a one-two with Wickham. One-on-one with Zuma, he starts to confuse the centre-back by doing that sort of low-down, I'm going to pretend I'm stroking the grass kind of motion, and um, cuts back and delivers a brilliant ball to the back post. Sacco just knocks it back across goal, and Joel Ward, seemingly out of thin air, <laughs> appeared to execute a diving header into the bottom corner. Um what was Joel Wall doing there? I still, to this day, I haven't worked it out. Is it? Is it? This is the crux of our problems now, isn't it? As Padre just says, forget defending, just get yourself in the penalty box. <laughs> it must be. Yeah, I, I was. I couldn't believe that Joel, Joel Wall was the player who scored that. I, I assumed it was, you know, a midfield player. Um, I thought it was Wickham. I thought it had to be Wickham. If you had, if you go back and watch it, um, it. It just seems to there seems to be like a little switch that goes off in his head halfway through the move, and he just he just runs, and he almost doesn't break stride, and he's just suddenly he's there. Just turns that, on the afterburners. Yeah, it was it was bizarre to watch. But was I mean, that before he got married? It was, yeah, I think. But it, it just now you you guys have all you know played five aside, whatever. You sometimes you have moments where you just do something without thinking about it, and it and it. You know, comes off with something special, and and that I think that happens at all levels of football. And I think he just had one of those moments where it just for no reason he just decided to continue a run into the box and thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And and you, know, you gamble like that. No one follows the run, and and it's the difference mm. between scrambling for a point and winning all three and deserving it. 
Yeah, well, so after that went in, you're expecting a bit of a Chelsea onslaught, but we've we saw the game out relatively comfortably, really, and there were no chances. I think McCarthy just had to make one one simple save. Those were the days. Um, the game, the game finished. I, re- I mean, the roar inside the stadium when we, um, when the full-time whistle went, was deafening. It was really, really, just really guttural and amazing. And what I remember about it is Mourinho just immediately turning to the Palace fans and applauding us. Um, and he yeah. spoke very kindly of us after that game. Um, and meanwhile, Mr. Mr. Gleeful Alan Pardew soaking up. Can you believe this? An eight-for-way win in ten since taking over as Palace manager. What we would do to have those times back now. It took us up, and it took us up to second. It did take us up to second, and after the international break, it was a top of the table clash against five out of five wins, Man City. But um, that is not a chat for another classic match any day of the week because it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it for the classic match this week. Uh, next week we are playing Watford. All oh, there's some really good options for that one. So I promise I'll put a vote up on Twitter for that one. And um, you guys can have your pick for what we talk about. Right, that's it. Almost it for this week. Thanks to Trizia, a.k.a. Terence the Cat, for joining us. Um, thanks also go to whoever's going to produce this. We assume it's going to be Clouds, right? Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's not me. So far, it's been me. I hope so, because <laughs> I called him a naughty word during one of the edit points. <laughs> Maybe a shame if you didn't hear that. It would be a big shame. And obviously, thank you to Albert and Hambo. I love you Same both equally. <laughs> um, Hambo, what's the plan for Sunday night? Well, Sunday is our last uh, live show, review show, whatever you want to call it, before uh, a little break for, for the Christmas period. Although we always say that we invariably drop a podcast somewhere in there to review a couple of the games. Uh, but the next live show is generally after that. We'll, it, the current intention is... 4th of January I believe but um, we're hoping that uh, well plans are afoot for a, a special guest to join us uh, on Sunday um, so all going to plan look forward to that otherwise the special guest will be me and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, be, um, but we'll be reviewing a, a fantastic return to form on win against Chelsea of course brilliant um, this preview podcast will be back next Wednesday and we also have a very special guest how exciting is this um, and we're going to be previewing the Watford game and we'll have a little bit of Christmas fun as well. But until then, up the palace. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.